Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Maurice Ritt. I'm standing in for our usual host, Nicholas Lorimer, who's still stuck somewhere in the United States, I believe. Nobody's too sure where he is. So let's hope he gets back to uh, the Great Republic of South Africa at some point in the future. I'm joined today by uh, usual guest, Terence Corrigan. How are you, Terence? I'm okay, Nicholas. I'm okay, Maurice. I think Nicholas <laughs> is probably just a, is, is probably just beguiled by the thought of constant electricity. Exactly. And we are joined today by our first-time guest, Genevieve Labuskachny, who is, uh, or as Australians like to say, Labuschagne. If you follow cricket, you know there's a Labuskachny that plays for the Australian cricket team. Uh, Genevieve is an intern uh, with the Centre for Risk Analysis, and this is her first, uh, uh, first appearance on the show. Hopefully it's the first of many. Uh, Genevieve, do you want to tell our uh, listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself in two lines, just a quick uh, little biography? Sure, I am very excited to be making my debut on this platform and a platform in general like this. And I hope I will be on many more shows. So I am also a master's candidate currently at Salambosch University. I have an honors in political sciences with a focus on risk analysis. And I'm very excited for what the show holds. Cool. Thanks, Genevieve. She's, uh, yeah, well, she's much smarter than me, just uh, I want to focus. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, moving swiftly along. Uh, Terence is one of the cleverest guys I know, so it's very difficult to be smarter than Terence. Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> so we've got a bit to talk about uh, today. There was a, a very interesting interview uh, between uh, Alec Hogg and Gator McKenzie on uh, Alec Hogg's uh, Biz News TV. And uh, we're just uh, kind of what uh, uh, Gator McKenzie thinks of the political landscape and so on. And he said uh, opposition parties must be careful about giving uh, the ANC a free ride for the next five years, which uh, is quite an interesting comment, I think, because Gator McKenzie, he's, while he's supported the DA and the ANC in coalitions around the country, he seems to be more on the side of the ANC at the moment. He supported them, uh, for example, in uh, Johannesburg. I'm open to correction, but I think he's also supported them down in Nelson Mandela Bay. So uh, the, the Patriotic Alliance, which is Gator McKenzie's party, seems to be kind of playing both sides at the moment, and I'm not sure it's really a solid member of the kind of Wild Dogs or the Moonshot Pact. So Terence, uh, what do you think about uh, Gates McKenzie's comments? Uh, do you think, uh, he, he seems to believe that the ANC could be as low as the, uh, gets into the low 30% uh, um, margin in next year's elections. Do you think that's uh, feasible? And also Gates McKenzie, he's, he's predicting that the PA is going to get 10% of the votes, which I think is a bit, uh, a bit ambitious, but yeah. What do you think of his comments, and do you think he's got uh, there's any merit to what he's saying there? Um, okay, I think his 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 uh, portrayal of his own party's chances and also of, uh, of of the ANC's prospects are, shall we say, optimistic. But then again, you know, who would have said that in you know between 1994 and 1999, the Democratic Party would go from 1.7 to what was it about 9.7? Uh, you know, these these a shift like that is not entirely impossible but i would be surprised um i would say that uh, for that to happen he would need to chew both into the da and the anc support and i um i uh, at present question uh you know what is uh, uh, what is what his chances are amongst um, amongst traditional anc supporters but leaving that aside also the the polling doesn't seem to suggest that the ANC is 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 there yet. Maybe knows something we don't, and uh, there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge. 
what I found interesting about that interview was more the way that he um, that he spoke about the relationships between the different parties. I think some of this was uh, is 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 fairly um, is fairly standard, uh, a well-established boilerplate that many of the rivalries do seem to be personal rather than um, uh, rather than principled or political. And I think you know, Action SA and the Democratic Alliance don't seem to diverge hugely on questions of of, of politics or ideology, but there are some uh, some definite issues of of bruised egos of careers that uh, you know weren't weren't quite going where people want, wanted them to go. Leadership fallouts, and he of course uh, raised the question of uh, certain personal connections uh, between John Steenhuysen and Michael Beaumont, which I can imagine you know would really sour would really sour things. But I also found found interesting the way he said that uh, we are all we are all fighting with each other, and I include the patriotic alliance in this. Uh, having watched a lot of those those um, uh, business news uh, business discussions, uh, including where he's uh, he's appeared on stage, it's interesting the way that they would take very personal aim at one another. And particularly, Helen Ziller came in um, uh, came in as sort of wicked witch of the Western Cape, um, and Gate McKenzie, I think, said, "Well, you know, he's not prepared to work with her." It is interesting, you know, just maybe as a um, as a shimmer on the Richter scale that uh, he seems to be conceding that maybe this isn't great, and maybe uh, that attitude from his own party and from himself is um, is an element of the problem. You know, I, I remember listening to to uh, Doctor Doctor Crenier some some months ago. Um, Obviously, as, as people would know, he used to be our CEO, but uh, by that stage he had moved on. And he said, "You know, don't worry about the um, uh, don't worry about the about the coalition. These people are learning how to do it. And maybe this is a uh, this is an indication that some sort of learning has taken place. I suppose all, all one can say really is we shall see. But uh, yeah, an interesting interview nonetheless. Uh, I've said before, coalitions are actually a feature of our political system, not a bug." With our yes. proportional representation uh, system of voting, you know, it's actually it's uh, anomaly that the ANC is always is dominated. And we, I think, we're coming to the end of ANC dominance. So, uh, Genevieve, do you agree with what uh, Terence said? And do you think the PA can make, uh, you know, can it be a big player in next year's election? Do you think ten percent is in reach for the PA, or do you think that's, uh, you know, but uh, but ambitious for Gates and McKenzie and his political party? I think. The PA is turning around 10 years this year, and I suppose they've been making quite a ruckus towards um, lately. Their Gayton's name is a lot in the media, but our coalition politics have proved to be very shaky at best. And it, it can swing either way with parties and who they choose to be. We've seen with the Moonshot Pact, we've seen with forecasting that the ANC might link with the EFF, the DA saying they're open to working with even the ANC, all the different parties. So I will recognize that in the interview, something that stood out for me was when Gayton did say that coalition politics is about power sharing agreements. And he also mentioned that he's sending through a convoy to Israel to learn about their coalition politics. And I think it, it brings down to the power sharing our coalition politics have been falling apart because parties aren't willing to share. Everybody has a voice that they want in their own prerogatives. And a lot of our political parties are going up 
against each other, the opposition, there's rivalry amongst them instead of a united uniform front against the ANC and against shifting real vote uh, vote percentages. I just want to, uh, I'm not sure if you saw, there's a comment uh, in the, or is it somebody in the comments here, uh, some of you called joking atheist. They said, who is Genevieve voting for? I will vote for them. So you obviously don't have to say on the show, but uh, they're obviously <laughs> going to follow your 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 political uh, uh, insights, I suppose. Uh, there was another article that I thought was quite interesting. Uh, it was from the conversation. It was by uh, two academics, Colette uh, Schultz-Hersenberg, who's at Stellenbosch, I think. You may know Genevieve, and uh, Robert Mattis, who used to be at UCT and is now at uh, the University of Strathclyde in uh, Scotland, I believe. And they said uh, one of the issues with uh, South African politics is there's just a decline in the number of people who are coming out to vote. And, you know, just the proportion of voters is just declining. It's, I think we still had 60, 66% of uh, registered voters voted in 2019, but as proportion of eligible voters, only about 45 or 50%, something like that. And one of the issues was that uh, people, a lot, of, a lot of these people who are abstaining are uh, ANC supporters or voters who just don't see uh, there's, you know, they, none of the opposition parties are really uh, appealing to them. Do you think that's a um, decent analysis, Terence? I think it's, you know, it's one of those, it was a, more of a bit of a dry analysis, but I, I quite liked it because it was one of those who didn't really say people aren't going to vote for the DA because it's, they're racist or because Helen Ziller, you know, tweeted something silly. I thought it was quite a dry analysis that actually looked at the real issues. Yeah, I think that um, the obsession with, with, with Helen Ziller and her Twitter feeds is something that probably affects a very small uh, portion of a portion of our society. Um, I do think that that tends to be more the, you know, the, 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 um, uh, the commentariat than the, uh, uh, than the ordinary person. Um, something that, that, that I've said repeatedly, and um, I think... Uh, Helen Ziller actually um, actually once once made this point in a public meeting that I that I attended, and this was you know probably about two thousand and eight or so. So this was before she became the bête noire of uh, enlightened opinion. Um, she said that she had worked uh, deliberately in Kyalicha, had her office there, and uh, spent day after day helping um, uh, helping Kyalicha residents, mostly uh, mostly black women with very few options do things like access social grants, get protection orders against abusive partners, whatever. And when the election came around, she then contacted these people and said, you know, would you consider giving your vote to us? And she said, almost uniformly, the response was, Helen, we love you. Nobody has done as much for us as, as you have. The ANC council is useless. You know, we never hear from the ANC except at election time. But we are ANC. And she put this into words that I think just just, just captured it that's part of your identity and i think it's a generational shift that uh, that 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 will um uh, that will remove that and i think that that is prob that is you know uh something that that our politics um uh our politics has to, uh, has to wrestle with it's not a uniquely south african thing um they i, I remember reading a uh, reading a, a somewhat humorous account but uh, true biographical about a, a British immigrant family who moved to who immigrated to South Africa in the 1970s. And they said, you know, dad voted Labour because grandpa voted Labour and mom voted Labour because dad voted Labour. So why were socialists going to go to live in South Africa? And they said, well, basically, because fundamentally, we're all pretty damn conservative. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the, 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 this, is, this is the point. I think that that um, 
there's a there's a sort of reflexiveness about this, and you know where where uh, faith and where faith in, in in one's party stops, it's very difficult to sort of convert that into 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 something else. Um, there was a time when the ANC was riding very high, and you know was endorsed by a lot of people who might not ten years previously have done so, but still the ability to attract uh, uh, you know the white middle class who might have actually felt fairly comfortable with the way things were. In the head uh, of the Mbeki administration was was limited. Um, so yeah, you know, I think I, th I think this this the this sort of dropout it, it 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 is inevitable, but it also comes with a massive risk that when you identify the, the democratic system with your party, you know, the failure of your party then you know uh, tarnishes the tarnishes the system as a whole. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, the reasons people vote are complex and part of it is, uh, as you say, part of your identity. Uh, but just uh, ne next week, there's going to be an election in uh, Johannesburg, or by-election in uh, Johannesburg in Ennerdale. Uh, and uh, it's going to be quite interesting. It was held by the ANC, uh, but the PA did pretty well there in 2021. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, uh, what, what, what the results are there. I think it's the ANC, the PA, the DN, actually say are all fielding candidates. So I think it'll be, if you're South African politics watcher, I think that's one definitely to keep an eye out on, uh, out for. And that's going to be coming out, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be happening next week, Wednesday, along with, I think, uh, nine other by-elections. So we'll get a nice, uh, give us a nice little snapshot of what uh, South Africans are thinking, I think. Uh, but moving on from that, um, there was an article, I think, was uh, yesterday in, the, in Business Live by Peter Attard Montalto. Uh, who he is, uh, I think he's based in the UK, but he works with IntelliDex, which is a, a, it's a, a market analysis company, which has got offices here in Joburg and I think in London. And he said, uh, I think it was a very interesting article, and he was, uh, the headline was, Foreign Policy Joins the List of Investor Concerns. And he was saying that South Africa's, uh, South Africa's foreign policy hasn't really been a concern for investors up until very recently, which is basically the beginning of May with accusations from the American government that South Africa was giving arms to Russia, which we saw there was a massive collapse in the value of the rand. It's recovered a bit now, but it went from you know, 1850 to nearly 20 rand within the space of a couple of days. It was, you know, something that you don't see very often. And people who've watched this kind of cl uh, stuff closely were quite shocked at the scale of uh, the rand's collapse and the sell-off of South African assets and so on. As I say, it's recovered a bit, but uh, Peter Atard Montalto thinks it's something that's going to have to be baked into South African assets for now. Uh, so Genevieve, uh, as a resident uh, risk analyst here, uh, what do you think of uh, Peter Atard Montalto's article? Mm. Do you think he's correct? Do you think uh, foreign policy is something that uh, you know, investors and so on are going to be watching more closely from now on? I mean, I think he's, he's quite right. And uh, as I said before the show, Peter Atard Montalto, he's, he's been very critical of the government, but IntelliDex itself isn't one of these kind of doom-mongering places. They're not... There's people saying you have to get your money out of South Africa immediately, but they, I think, that was quite fair in their criticism of the government. Uh, yeah. So, what do you, what do you make of uh, what Montalto was saying? I think the article was a very neutral and straightforward description of the situation, and I think it's important for South Africans and foreign investors to see it from that perspective. And when it comes to geopolitics and the international markets and globalization, we cannot escape the impact of foreign policy and we cannot escape the decisions that the ruling party has made with foreign policy. I think a lot of earthquake movements and a lot of fears from investors and a lot of pulling out on the bonds and the shares 
is a very narrow-sighted worry. We need to recognize that our long-term prospects, the long-term consequences of this, are where we need to be focusing on, and especially our investors. In Since the start of 2023, we have already lost around 170 billion rand in regards to government bonds and shares leaving the country. Now there's the threat of losing a Goa, and if we lose the US, our EU trading parties are likely to follow. That being said, the Deutsche Bank in May actually suggested to their clients, their strategists, that they should be investing in our bonds because they're ex extremely cheap. But that was May. We are in June and our foreign policy is still full of mishaps, misjudgments. It is putting a lot of pressure on South Africans and investors are listening to that. Investors are no longer just orientated with how they can make money quick and cheap. ESG ratings have become prevalent. Um, gray listings, junk status, all of these, these risk ratings are important. And our foreign policy is a direct obstacle for our economy and for our foreign investment. And I think uh, also a point on that is, um, obviously if the share stock market is uh, losing money and so on, uh, that doesn't just mean it's you know people with loads of money that in the stock market that's losing out. That means there's less uh, less taxes are going to be coming to South Africa mm -hmm. because there's less investment and fewer taxes there. Are. There's you know less money to build clinics, build schools, build roads, build things that can actually bring mm -hmm. people into the real economy. And these kinds of things are having real consequences for people. And as I said on the show yesterday, uh, that we don't have to obviously we don't have to be in lockstep with everything the U.S. does. But we also have to think about our own interests. And the Russia makes up a very small proportion of our total trade and investment into South Africa. The US and the EU are much bigger. It doesn't really make sense that we are kind of throwing away these relationships just because for forward, this kind of weird ideological hang up. I mean, in many ways, the ANC seems to be st still stuck in the 1960s with, you know, with the rhetoric. I mean, still calls people comrades and all kinds of things. You know, it's uh, the kind of, uh, as I said, it's foreign policy seems to think that uh, the Soviet Union is still on the side of uh, anti-imperialism. The Soviet Union hasn't existed for 30 years. So, Terence, do you think uh, that's fair or do you think I'm being a bit uh, too critical of the government? No, I think that that um, you, you're dealing with a um, with a uh, section of our political class for whom politics has be is, is the only frame of reference. Um, I think that it goes a long way to explaining why South Africa has um, has underperformed and in many ways has failed on so many on 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 so on so many metrics. Um, if you are um, uh, Naledi Pandor said said a couple of days ago. You know, we won't uh, we won't sell out our, our our foreign policy for trade. But um, you know, the the essence of a foreign of a foreign policy is learning how you um, how you balance or bring these things into in um, uh, into alignment. Um, I think that 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 there is far too knee-jerk a reaction towards uh, uh, towards what the ANC would describe as anti-imperialism. I mean, this is something that I've had to say again and again um, to observers from from, from abroad. 
they say, well, you can't, they can't understand why is a democracy in a country that has, you know, spoken out so forcefully on colonialism, not, not doing it in respect to Russia. And I said, because Russia, they do not view what Russia is doing as imperialism. They see imperialism as this kind of like conspiracy directed from Washington, D.C. and read their own documents. I'm not inferring. This is what they, this is how they describe it. Uh, Russia's actions, although regrettable, and I think, you know, I don't think the ANC particularly wants to deal with <clears throat> With, uh, with, a, uh, with a war, uh, they're messy and, you know, it causes all sorts of problems, but they will only ever, uh, intellectually, they can't, they, they can only see that as a, pu as a pushback against imperialism. Um, a country like Ukraine or Poland, uh, you know, they are, they are the equivalent of what is called in the 1980s in pimpies, you know, informers. They betrayed, they betrayed the great socialist struggle. Um, so, yeah, you know, um, I think, though, that uh, you know, I, I think I, I think that the that that the state of our foreign policy has been has been exposed for years and years and years. I don't think it's it's uh, um, reasonable to expect South Africa to be in, uh, to be entirely principled, but I just think it's 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 you know become it's become a mess because I think it's been it's been so overly politicized, denuded of skills, and I, I, you know. The invasion of Ukraine caught South Africa's foreign policy uh, bureaucracy by surprise. That's why you had that crazy um, uh, a statement, or, or actually a fairly reasonable statement, which they then walked back. Probably, uh, we must be the only country to have done that—to condemn it and then say, "Well, no, it's not so. It's not so bad." And, um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I actually had a conversation with, with 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 someone in the know about these things. What what, what would South Africa do in the event of a shooting war? You know, in Asia between America and China, and said that that this has not even been discussed. It's just not something that you know. This would be a world-changing event, and South Africa has no uh, has no clue. Um, South Africa also has one of the largest diplomatic footprints in the world. The National Development Plan said you've got to actually look at this because what are we getting for it? Um, and you know, as I've as I've said, I've said. Uh, uh, well, certainly uh, within the institute, but uh, you know, probably said it publicly. The um, debacle in Poland. Uh, our general was uh, uh, General Wally Rudy, uh, President from Opposers, former campaigns director, was uh, complaining about the Poles wanting to speak Polish. Now, you know, maybe they were doing it, doing that to put South Africa in its place. But here's my question: Where were all of those? You know, Polish-speaking South African diplomats who could come and like stick it right back at them. I don't. I doubt very much. You know, we have any. You know, South Africa. Oh. You know, sees itself as aligned with China. How many? How many uh, South African diplomats can speak and uh, speak Mandarin or Cantonese? I'd be surprised. Maybe if they, they don't. Maybe they don't want to ask Janusz Walusz to act as a translator. It might have been politically unpalatable. I'm not too sure. So I'll put you on the spot, Genevieve. Uh, say you're running your own risk firm. Somebody comes to you and says they've got ten million. Uh, not uh, let's say they've got a million dollars. They want to invest in somewhere. Would you say yes? Invest in South Africa. Would you say no? Definitely don't put in South Africa. We'd say yeah. You know, it's why not? Let, let's gamble. Put put two million dollars in South Africa. Yo, you know, I I want to say go for South Africa, but there are unfortunately at the moment better investment opportunities. South Africa has got so many fantastic possibilities. We have successful mining industries which have taken a knock we have successful agricultural industries that have taken a knock our infrastructure is failing and it's a sad picture because 
We are a great investment destination, but currently with our foreign policy debacles, I cannot, I could never say to a client, put your money here, simply because as a risk analysis, as a risk analyst, I solely believe that there is a lot of power in geopolitics, regional politics in the global political economy, and South Africa is falling behind. There are, Af there are other African countries that are much better suited for investment. If we look at Kenya specifically, Nairobi is doing well. Ethiopia is one of the fastest growing economies, although there are issues there at the moment. But even Cape Town has... Just, just a smaller issue of a massive sorry. civil war in Ethiopia. <laughs> that too. But Cape Town city itself has just signed a trade agreement with Nairobi. There are better destinations for investment at the moment that aren't South Africa. So I I could not in good faith suggest to a client, put your money here, as sad as it is. Could I just um, uh, respond to one of the comments in the um, uh, one of the comments by one of our viewers, our friend Whiskey Jack? Why should we not have a big diplomatic <laughs> presence? Against this stuff is the very reason people don't like classic liberals that just suck up to the Western view or say black government is unworthy. Well, actually, what I've said is that um, the National Development Plan asked what the return that we are getting for this is. Now, you know, by all means, you know, we can have a, a, an embassy in every country and spend an, an, an enormous amount. The question is, is, is it effective? And no, it isn't. If we are, if, if, if for that sort of uh, presence, uh, South Africa was going to be caught flat-footed by the biggest uh, emerging geopolitical crisis on the planet today, then, uh, you know, you must either ask whether, uh, uh, whether that sort of investment is worth it, whether you want to scale it back or whether you want to try and upgrade it to do, some, do something useful. So say, it's the same reason, what, reason that I, I, I mentioned language skills. I've also been told that there are no uh, South African diplomats in our embassy in Berlin who can speak German. Uh, you know, these are, these, are, these are fairly basic things. You know, the, the, the fact that South Africa is a developing country doesn't mean that we, uh, uh, that we get we we should expect to be cutting any slack on 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 the tools of exercising diplomacy. I think that's uh, you know you need bank your back. I'm not sure we get that at the moment. And uh, yes, just that, in, the, that's the point. in the last uh, few minutes we have here, uh, there was another article in uh, Business Live which I thought was uh, actually very good, and it was by somebody called Tristan Taylor. Uh, he's a journalist, and he said uh, uh, that uh, President Ramaphosa's um, uh, peacemaking efforts. Uh, were a good idea, but he was focusing on the wrong conflict and it was on the wrong continent. And he said that uh, South Africa should be getting involved uh, in the DRC, not militarily, obviously, although we do have troops there as part of a UN mission. But rather trying to, uh, he, he warned that uh, the, the country is very close to a third Congo war. And we know in the last 25 years, there have been two massive wars in the DRC, which were basically have been described as South Africa's kind of, I'm sorry, as Africa's world wars. And he said that this is where South Africa can actually make a difference. And South African, we have made, uh, we have worked at uh, creating peace in the DRC. Nelson Mandela and Thabo Mbeki both played very important roles there. Uh, and so, uh, Terence, do you think uh, Tristan Taylor is making a good point here? Do you think South Africa, if we do want to be involved in, you know, ending wars around the world, do you think we should be concentrating in places like the Congo, which is, uh, you know, I mean, that, that actually affects South Africa. We know there's uh, quite a big uh, Congolese uh, community in uh, South Africa, and I'm sure a lot of them have come out because of the security issues in the Congo. And we also know Congo uh, is a member of SADC and so on. Also, uh, got a lot of uh, minerals that are needed around the world, a lot of rare earth minerals, which uh, 
you know, a lot of minerals you only find in the Congo. So do you think he makes a good point? Or do you think South Africa should actually just forget about it and concentrate on fixing what's going on here? Look, I, I think I, I think that there are um, positives and negatives to that argument. I, first of all, I've I, I have said in writing that uh, I don't believe that uh, I, I, I think this African initiative is a legitimate one. I I, I don't rate its chances for, for for various reasons, but in in the sense that 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 that, that this is a major world uh, world conflict that that, um, uh, that afflicts Africa that does affect Africa and that affects South Africa, it is reasonable uh, for African countries to to express themselves on it and offer whatever support they can. I just I, I don't I don't believe that conflict is actually ripe to be to, uh, to be resolved, but you know maybe maybe in the fullness of time there is something to be to be contributed. Um, as far as as far as Congo goes, look, I think that that is that is an area where South Africa does potentially have influence, which is one thing I think it really lacks with with both Russia and Ukraine. Uh, South Africa can't provide uh, economic incentives or uh, security guarantees or anything like that. Um, in the in the case of the Congo, in a way, because of proximity, it has no choice but to uh, uh, but to step up there. I think a lot of the um, influence that it that it wielded in the '90s and early and early 2000s, as you know, the miracle transition, moral authority, plus uh, the 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 size and sophistication of its economy, which was very unique then, less unique now, um, gave it. Uh, gave it a gravitas that it could pass into in um into influence that was why you know the the the, the sun city agreements were possible so uh yes you know I, I would i would say that that uh congo sudan whatever those are areas where um uh, where south africa's um uh, where south africa's diplomacy or diplomatic resources which i think are very thin and anemic but would would bet would would better be um, uh, be deployed, but uh, you know, just to make this point again, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that uh, that uh, South Africa's concern or um, uh, possible role in 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 um, in conflicts anywhere else should be should be discount, uh, should, should be discounted as illegitimate or irrelevant. I just don't think at at the moment it really has uh, it really has anything anything tangible to offer. But by all means, you know, maybe maybe history will will uh, will will show that something does come down does come down the road. Uh, we've got about uh, yeah, we're almost at the end of the show, uh, Genevieve. So in thirty seconds or so, do you agree with Terence? Do you think uh, he's correct in his analysis? And do you think we should just be uh, worrying about what's happening here in South Africa, or do you think we, we do have a role to play in other parts of the world? Thirty seconds or less. So yeah, we. South Africa has chaired the AU twice, more than any other country. We portray this image of now being peace initiators, of being people that are trying to create peace. We need to put the African continent first because that's where we have the most relevance, although it is declining as we are becoming a weak link. So I believe that we cannot ignore our foreign policy just so we can sort out our domestic affairs. We need to work along the entire gradient because if we focus on one, we're going to let the other balls slip even further. So I'm a big advocate for South Africa trying to sort all its ducks out and get them in a decent, decent row. I think that's an important point. Uh, as the saying goes, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. You know, we don't have to forget about <laughs> no, one and try to fix the other. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, thanks to everybody who listened. Uh, thanks, Terence and Genevieve, for your time. And I hope we see you again. And yeah, thanks for everybody uh, who 
tuned in and hopefully uh, Nick Lorem will be back uh, soonish. Hopefully he's uh, not uh, not lost in the wilds of the Florida Everglades or something. Who knows where he is at the moment. But yeah, th thanks a lot, everybody, and cheers. Thank you.